If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hi, fam, and welcome to another episode of Reclaim Me. Thank you for joining me today. But before we get started with this week's episode and story, I do want to give you some reminders. Please, please, please go rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to us on. If you can hop on Apple Podcasts, and write a review there. It really does help me so much. And I want to say thank you so much to everybody who's gone in there and given me a five-star review and gotten me closer to the goal of getting to 100 by the end of the year. Now, number two, we do have a survivor support network. So if you do want to go into the show notes for this episode, you will find a link to that group. It's a Facebook group and it's just full of your people. If you want to make friends, if you want to find people that you can talk about this stuff with, a lot of the people are into true crime as well. And it's basically like joining a big family, a family that you don't feel like a burden to when you're asking for advice or wanting to share your story a little bit. It is a completely open space. And I really want to encourage people to try and make friends with each other in this area. It is so hard to feel alone when you're a victim survivor of abuse or an ally as well. So please jump on there and join the group and join the rest of your victim survivor allyship family, I guess. Now, the third thing as well is that if you are somebody, anybody from anywhere in the world who wants to come on and share their story, 
you're more than welcome to get in touch with me. This isn't a closed space. It is an open space. So if sharing your story on this platform or on the Instagram or on the Twitter account or in another format, you can do it anonymously. We can do it in different ways. That's an option to you. So don't be afraid to reach out and send me a message. I'll get back to you for sure. Might not be quick, but I definitely will get back to you. So hop in the show notes and you'll be able to send me an email or get in touch with me via my socials as well. But for today, we're about to get into this episode and our guest today is nothing short of an incredibly amazing warrior woman. Today, we are going to be joined by the absolutely effervescent, amazing, intelligent, kind, and just wholeheartedly wonderful Holly, because it's important that we acknowledge in this episode that there was a trial and that the alleged perpetrator was found not guilty. So I'm just going to make a statement at the top of this episode as well, that everything that Holly and I talk about that's within this episode is our thoughts, feelings, and opinions. We are not qualified legal experts. We are not providing legal advice and we are not stating anything other than what is our personal opinions as we go through. I'm just going to leave that at the top there, but let's get straight into this episode with the amazing Holly. Hello and welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather and today I am joined by a fellow Melbourneite, Holly. Welcome, Holly. Hi. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today. It's actually so funny. We're literally like kind of on the same street. We live quite close to each other. Yeah. Um, and I love that. And I, I actually just remembered this before I actually introduce you a little bit. Um, the first time that we spoke, Holly had said to me, she's like, I think I've seen you walking around with your dog. Sounding like a total stalker. I sent a message like, oh my gosh, she's like, I think I'm so weird. <laughs> I lo- no, I loved it. It was really sweet. And I was like, oh, that's so nice that like people know my dog, I think, as well, because he's obviously so prevalent on my social media. Yeah. Um, but that was so funny. But it's so good to have you on. Do you mind, um, yeah, telling the listeners just a little bit about yourself, um, who you are, what you get up to, what you're up to at the moment with your life? Sure. Um, I find that the hardest question to answer. So obviously my name's Holly and I'm 23 years old. I live in Melbourne and I have lived in Melbourne pretty much my whole life. I'm currently in my fourth year of law. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of what I do with myself. Don't, yeah, <laughs> I suck at this. I- <laughs> No, that's okay. It's a very on the spot question to ask people. And unless you've, unless you've got like, um, a specific, you're a parent or you're an elite athlete or you've got like a really weird hobby or something like that, then it's really difficult to answer. You're like, I'm just, I'm just living. I'm out here doing yeah. a good job. Wait, uh, you know what? I'll say, um, so I do ballet. I've recently gotten back into ballet because I was like, I need to do something that I'm, like that I love and I did ballet for 14 years um, and then got injured but decided to go back. So, yeah, I'm back in doing ballet. Nothing elite but, like, it's it's nice to <laughs> do something that I used to really enjoy. That's so fun and so freeing. I used to do a lot of ballet because um, we did gymnastics. I did gymnastics and we used to do a lot of ballet through that as well. Yeah. It, it seems like a very easy, delicate thing but it is so difficult yeah. to do some of the things. Like, it's not easy. I think it's very, very underestimated. I'll put it that way. It's like Pilates when people look at it and they're like, oh, that looks easy or yoga. And then it's just like 
Well, go do a headstand in yoga and people are like, I can't do that. A hundred percent. Well, I'm glad that you're back into some of like a hobby that you really enjoy for yourself. But we are here today to discuss something that has kind of eventuated for yourself in the more recent weeks. Um, do you mind telling the listeners, I guess, a little bit about where that started for you and the, or sorry, do you mind telling the listeners where this currently sits for you. Just before we start off discussing anything, um, I need to make it really clear that what we're about to discuss um, the, and the individual that I'm discussing has been found not guilty in a, the Victorian court system um, of any crime. So he's not guilty of any crime and I don't condone anyone saying anything to the effect that he is guilty of a crime. We are going to discuss how we feel about that, but um, yeah, just really important to clear clear all that up that no one's guilty of anything here. I think it's also um, within that I'll just state that any opinions, and we'll keep saying this throughout, mm. are opinions. Um, so whether we believe that the conduct was whatever, that is an opinion that either of us hold about some events. It's not the legal system that has said that and that has to be stated because sadly currently if somebody's found not guilty of a crime, we do have to be really careful about things like defamation. So we're, we're being really clear here to try and make sure that it is explicitly spoken in many ways and we're being as careful as possible to protect um, Holly and also to protect the podcast. So it's just worth being really clear about that. But yeah, I guess Holly, do you mind telling us a little bit about your story, possibly where it started for you? Sure. So I guess it's best to sort of wind it back from the start. So four years ago, um, the start of 2018, I was 19 years old, just being a typical 19-year-old at uni, hanging out with friends a lot. And there was this guy that sort of started talking to me, a little bit more than friends, sort of just like a little flirty to seeing what was going on there. That went on for um, a couple of months, uh, nothing serious. We never really caught up. I've always sort of known him, but yeah, I wouldn't say we were ever really close. But yeah, so we were talking a little bit at the start of 2018 and he ended up asking me on a, a date to the drive-ins. And I said, look, I'm really sorry, but I'm sort of more interested in this other guy that um, I've been talking to. And I, I don't really think it's appropriate for us to go on a date, but I'd love to stay friends. He understandably, like he, he, I think he felt a little bit awkward. He didn't take that super well. Um, and we didn't really speak at all. Um, again. Um, so I guess that's sort of a little bit of necessary background. And then six months later in September, 2018, I had finished work, um, just in a local cafe and I went over to my best friend's house straight from work. Um, we were supposed to just chill out, like, I don't know, do what normal 19 year olds do on a Sunday afternoon. But her boyfriend had been doing some sort of drinks with uh, a group of boys and invited us over to come meet them. So <laughs> I actually remember, not that it's really relevant, but I remember joking to my friend. I was like, oh my God, like I look hideous. Like I feel disgusting. I've worked all day, but like, who cares? Like just a group of friends. We're just going to go over there. Like it doesn't matter. So we drive over there and end up having a couple of drinks. Like it was a, it was a fun night. So like had a few drinks, which like I was like, oh, it's probably not a good idea because I've got to get up and go to work at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. But anyway, we did that. And yeah, I start to get quite drunk. And we head out from my friend's house to Chapel Street, which I mean, people in Melbourne will know Chapel Street is. It's a great place to go out. So we get to the bar and my friend and I were the only two girls there with a whole bunch of our friends. Um, and the boys were buying drinks and we were sort of 
being included in the round. So it was a recipe for disaster, uh, to be honest. We both ended up quite quite uh, drunk. And my last memory was just dancing with a group of friends, like nothing, literally nothing abnormal to like mention. We were just dancing and having fun. Um, and we've obviously, from what I've been told, we left um, four of us got in an Uber. So my best friend, her boyfriend, uh, this guy and myself all got in an Uber to go home, which made sense because we were sort of in like a straight line out of Chapel Street. So there was my, uh, my best friend and her boyfriend were getting out the first stop. Then there was mine. And then um, this guy's house was after mine, like the furthest away. So made sense for us to all share an Uber home. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> don't remember the Uber ride at all. And basically my next sort of memory is getting out of the Uber at my house and walking what was quite a long walk from the road to my front door because just the way, like it's not fronting a street. It's really difficult to explain, but it's it's a, like maybe a 50-metre walk, so it's not nothing short. And about halfway down to my house, I realised that this guy um, is behind me. And the first thing I felt was like, oh, God, like what does he think's going on here? Like, like, I'm, like I was like, oh, boy, like am I going to have to like tell him to leave or like I don't know it's just like a what girls feel I think sometimes when they they feel a little bit like awkward maybe like you'd somehow let him on or something but you've just just realized that he's yeah gotten out of the uber when you've gotten out and you're heading down a long kind of driveway kind of thing and then you've realized that he's behind you yeah yeah so I've realized he's behind me and I was like what are you what are you doing and he said, oh, I'm just walking you to your front door. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like we both keep walking into my front door. I've opened my front door and I'm standing sort of at the threshold, like as you would, like I'm standing inside and he's standing um, on my porch, veranda, whatever you want to call it. And he said words to the effect of, I'm in love with you. Like I really want to be with you. I can't remember how long this conversation went on for. I just remember feeling very awkward and being like, oh my gosh. Like I felt bad as well because I was like, this guy's like, like that's a pretty vulnerable thing to do to come to your front door and say, Oh, like I'm in love with you and I want to be with you. Um, but I, I said, I pulled the boyfriend card cause like I had a boyfriend. Um, and I said, look, like I'm really sorry, but I'm really happy with this guy. And I don't, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. But it must be a bit confusing one that you're very drunk, but also, you know, to go back and think about it, like this isn't a guy that you've been seeing or been flirting with consistently like mm. that what you kind of described before had happened quite a time earlier. It wasn't like you've been in constant contact. So it's kind of like, do you really love me? Or like what's, it just, yeah. it seems a bit bizarre that out of nowhere he'd kind of follow you to the door and confess his love on the yeah. doorstep, like a bad romantic movie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I thought the exact same thing. It was, yeah, <laughs> very bizarre, like very bizarre and out of the blue. It definitely put me in like, I definitely felt, very uncomfortable, but tried to like be the nice girl and just let him down easy. And I was like, look, I'm really sorry, but no, like you need to leave. I want to go to bed. So I don't exactly remember how the conversation wound up, but I remember shutting the door pretty much in his face and locking the front door. And then memory pretty much goes. And I've just gone into what I assume is like my nighttime routine. Like I always have a shower every time before I go to bed, like it's completely normal and routine for me. So I started doing that. Um, I assume, <laughs> don't really remember, but my next memory is I was in the shower and I was facing away from where the front door would be sort of like the wall. Just like, that's what I always do when I'm in the shower. I don't know. It's just the way I shower, but I turned around and I see him standing in my bathroom, which just 
I just remember being like, what on earth? Like, and especially in that sort of state that I was in where like you couldn't, I couldn't really string like a logical thought together. It was just like somebody had appeared and I, I just, yeah, I remember being flabbergasted is probably the best word for it. Um, so I said, what are you doing? Like get out. And then memory goes again. The next thing I remember, I'm, I'm in bed um, and the alleged assault is happening. Um, again, very patchy memories, which I, I guess I'm a little bit grateful for, if I'm being honest. But, um, yeah, and then the next thing I remember is waking up the next morning. You know, just to reflect on even that bit, like, it's absolutely horrific. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I don't mean to make light of this in any way, but, you know, to put it into perspective how terrifying that would be, it's like, you know, I just made a reference before to a bad romance movie. Mm-hmm. Like in my mind, this is a, a horror movie. Like mm-hmm. you couldn't be other than being like completely asleep and being woken up by somebody intruding into your home. Like this is your safe space. You're completely naked and you're vulnerable within the shower. Like, of course your back is kind of to the door because you're not worried about an intruder. You're in your safe space, in the most vulnerable position you could possibly be. And you don't expect somebody that you've just rejected mm. to be standing in the bathroom no. watching you. Like let, let's like, you know, take the, the step back. Like that's so horrible oh, to have to even sorry. consider that he's looking at you naked. Like, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Every day I wonder what crossed his mind when he decided to break in. <laughs> Every day. Um, but that's yeah. horrible. Yeah, and like I, I will say as well because you're describing um, patchy memory, mm. and I had a good chat with some people the other day about this. And one of the things I describe to most people because I think most adults have some experience with being hungover or having drank a lot the night before, mm. and having moments throughout the next day or days after where you come to the realization of things that you've done the night before, Mm. you know, like where your memory kind of comes back or you've got patches that come back when you go, oh my God. And the cringe comes through because you've said or done something or sent a message that's awkward kind of thing. Yeah. And I think instead of thinking about things that you're not remembering in a sense, I'm kind of trying to frame it almost in a way as well with a lot of victim survivors that there are things that you do remember. So those are things that have come back naturally as any, you know, night where you've been under the influence of alcohol as mm-hmm. they would regardless of whether there was a trauma or huge event that happened or not. And I think I only want to make that statement to anybody listening kind of going um, or thinking about the the memory. Mm-hmm. And I know this from my own assault as well because I do have patchy memories, but there are some things that are so vivid between the patches that, you know, it's difficult to describe, but when you put it back on somebody else's memories and you say, can you remember a time when you've, and you put that situation to them, I think that they can come along on the journey a little bit more with a little bit more empathy because they have experience in that. Agreed. Um, also, yeah, I agree with you completely. And I think that it's, it's important to acknowledge not only is it an intoxicated memory, but it's a traumatic memory too. It was like heavily picked up. Um, throughout the trial because there were words to the effect of your memory is too convenient you don't remember like and you don't remember any other important details you only remember this and I said in the trial um the night out was a typical night out for me like drinking with friends dancing with friends getting an uber home that's all a typical night out having someone follow me to my front door and say they're in love with me and then appear in their bath my bathroom is not a typical night out 
and I don't know, when I wake up after I've had a few too many drinks, usually you remember like the big whatever was kind of funny or weird from the night before. And to me, like, that's what makes sense. It's my, like I've remembered the stuff that was so strange or so out of the norm, ordinary for a night out. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. And those are, yeah, two standout events. Somebody's following you down your driveway mm. and somebody appears in your bathroom. Like, of course. Mm. So you were saying that you you don't really remember much until you – you woke up kind of the next day or you were in your in your room what was it like for you to wake up in that moment what was the what happened as as you kind of woke up and maybe realized something wasn't quite right yeah it was definitely it was yeah I'll go through like sort of what I remember remembering but I woke up and the first thing I've realized is holy shit, like I'm freezing. It's September. So I was like, this is not normal. Like I was so cold and I was in bed. I've then sort of like, because I'm facing a sliding door in my bedroom and I can see it's open. So I've gone, okay, well, that's why I'm cold because the door's wide open, which is was weird. So that was one of the first things that made me go, something's wrong here. Then I realized I'm sleeping on the wrong side of my bed, which again, I sound neurotic, but like I, I always sleep on the same side of the bed. So that was another thing that made me go, something's wrong here. Then I've realized I'm naked. Again, something wrong. I don't sleep naked. And I sort of sat up, just like confused, trying to work out what's going on. And I've sat up and in the process of sitting up, I've worked, like I've felt pain in between my legs. And I was like, okay, (laughs) out, like what's going on? Look to my left next to me um, and there's someone next to me in the bed. And for a split second, I was like, oh, like my boyfriend's here. (laughs) What's he doing here? I thought he was like away. And then I realized it's not my boyfriend. Um, and in the process of sort of sitting upright, I've woken this guy up um, and he sat bolt upright quickly and he looked like he'd seen a ghost. He was, he like, terrified is probably the best way to describe it. And he looks at me and he says, do you want me to leave? And I said, yeah, get out. And he picks up his clothes and runs out the way that he came in through the open sliding door. And straight away... <laughs> I get up out of my bed because I didn't want to be in my bed and I sit on my floor and I try ringing my best friend. It's about 6.30 in the morning. So I, I rang her a couple of times and she didn't answer. And I texted her and I said, I don't know if I can use the actual words because he's been found not guilty of the offence, but fill in the gaps. I said, he's done this to me, like, um, help me, help me. Like, basically, and she ends up answering the phone a little bit later and drives to my house to come and console me pretty much. So yeah, there's, that's the sequence of events there. I think like on that, it's interesting. And I just want to make this clarification as well. So you're saying like you're in your bed Mm -hmm. and I think most people can understand that. I mean, I've got a side of the bed that I sleep on. Mm -hmm. I would never sleep without, like I sleep with underwear on, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like I have my pajamas. I love my pajamas. So I can understand that there's a, even if you're drunk, a standard routine that you would do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but additionally, oh, sorry, go. Sorry. Yeah. And yeah. for me, like I always have that routine, like no matter like how drunk I am, I've always done the shower, like take my makeup off, put my pajamas on. And I think it's, so with the door, is this like, are you on like a first level or a ground level Yeah. or is this like, so you, like I would just like imagine my parents being like, you're never having that room kind of thing because you will sneak out. Like is this a, a, an actual sliding door yeah. with ground level access to your room? Yes, yes. Yeah. So it, the sliding door goes straight to outside. Um, it is 
tricky to explain, but the sliding door takes you straight outside um, and sort of into the same part that the front doors, like the same patio next to the front door. And is that your bedroom? So you've got the front door, your your bedroom's up right at the front of the house and you've got your front door, but just next to that is a sliding door that opens and that gives you access to your room yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. Um, and my, my parents and my younger sister were two stories up on the third floor. So, yeah, it's my family home. Okay. I think I just wanted to clarify that because I think for some people it's hard to imagine that there's a bedroom door with a sliding door that goes outside. So I think it's poignant to say that that's the case obviously as well. But you said said that it sounded like he saw a ghost and he just left Mm. Um, and he just immediately himself went to that sliding door and just exited the property. Yeah. Did he contact you or anything immediately after? Nothing. I didn't hear a thing for a couple of days. I noticed as well that there was blood on my sheets, but not just like like in a little one spot where if you had an accident with your period or something like on my pillow, like all over down the side of the bed, like not like I hadn't hemorrhaged. Like there was just spots of like blood everywhere, which I actually took a video of um, just because to me, like to me seeing that there, like on my pillow and all over the bed in the way that it was, just reiterated that it was foul play. Like, I mean, I was in pain and I've never been in pain before after having sex. So um, there was that and then the blood, which, yeah, I was like something's like something's gone wrong here. And so you're kind of sitting on the floor kind of trying to talk to your friend mm-hmm. and you've seen the blood, you're in pain. Mm-hmm. What do you kind of do from there? I mean, it's really early in the morning. What were your actions? I mean, obviously you're kind of in shock horrified, upset. Mm. What did you, um, what were your, was the rest of your day kind of like on that day coming to terms with, with what you were, I guess, understanding, um, as time was going on? Yeah. So, um, I really quickly went into the, it's okay. Like, this is going to be fine. Kind of mindset. Like I, I, like I was crying like to my friend, but I was like, it's fine. This is going to like, blow over I'll be fine like it doesn't matter pretty much just trying to like brush under the rug because it's definitely a response to what had happened and like I understood the significance of it but I was like terrified of that becoming like a thing (laughs) do you know what I mean so I was like no I'm fine this will be fine and I pretty much tried to brush it under the rug so I sat and talked to my friend for a couple of hours um and then I got up and went to work (laughs) which is just crazy to me. But, yeah, I went to work because I didn't know what else to do. So that's what I did. Um, obviously was very distracted at work um, and went to my boyfriend's house afterwards because I couldn't face going home. Um, I didn't want to go back to sleep in my own bed. So I went to my boyfriend's house, um, spent some time with him, and then I had a dinner organised with three of my best friends so I went and met them for dinner, tried to sort of act like things were normal, obviously wasn't doing a very good job at it because by the end of dinner, my friends said to me, they were like, Holly, what's going on? Like, you're quiet. Like, is, what's wrong? And I pretty much broke down and said, like, told them everything that had happened. And I told them that I was in physical pain. Um, like I was struggling to sort of sit comfortably in a chair. So because of that, after a lot of convincing, um, they took me to the Alfred Hospital and for me, like, I went to the hospital not to report anything or to further any sort of 
potential investigation because I was not at the mind at that time. That's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to check that I was okay. So went to the emergency room, the Alfred, and spoke to a really lovely doctor. But the doctor um, said, unfortunately, we don't have, do they call it a rape kit? I don't know what they call it in Australia. Yeah, usually like an evidence collection kit or a sexual assault kit of some kind. But it's basically a kit to try and obtain any kind of evidence pertaining to any potential sexual assault. The the reason as well would be because it has to be usually done by a specific practitioner, Mm. a specific kit, and has to be handed off with a chain of custody to a certain person. So that's why it's not just a simple swab. There's a whole process that goes with it. Yeah, that was sort of explained to me that that's not something that they have available at the Alfred. Um, And the doctor's like, I'm sorry, I can't even look at you from a medical perspective because she said words to the effect of it, it would be interfering with a crime scene. And <laughs> that was sort of the first time I was like, oh, my God, like this is this is really real, you know. Um, and hearing that as well was pretty awful, to be honest. Like we can't give you medical care, which is what I was there for, because they're not allowed to look at me because of what had happened. And that's all I wanted. I didn't want like – and I said to them, I was like, I just want to see that I'm okay. Like I, I'm not interested in reporting this. I just like I'm in pain like – can you tell me if I'm all right? It just seems really bizarre as well because the Alfred is one of Australia's, if not the world's best trauma centres mm-hmm. and leading trauma centres. So it's got a helicopter pad on the top of it because people from all over at least Australia will go there for like massive car accidents and things like that. Like they specialise in trauma and I think it's just a bit of a weird thing that they don't have the facilities to deal with a different type of trauma. Yeah, yeah. Like it also kind of like if you think about it outside of that, what if somebody's come in, you know, beaten or something and they've got a major trauma that they need the whole, you know, in inverted commas, trauma team, the helicopter and stuff like that, for example, and there is something that they need to do in terms of like a an evidence collection kit, a sexual assault kit with that. How can you not have the capability to do that at one of the biggest and best hospitals in the world. Yeah. Like that's bizarre. I know. And you're not the only one that said that the investigating officers down the track said the same thing. They were pretty upset about um, that situation. Um, And to be honest, like if they had it there, I probably would have done it just because it would have been a means to an end of getting medical care. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Treatment for the pain you're in or making sure you're okay. Yeah. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, yeah, they, they said to me, you can go to, they listed a couple of other hospitals I could go to, but at this stage it was about 10 o'clock at night. My boyfriend didn't know, my parents didn't know, and I didn't want people to start asking, where are you? Like, I'm on fire, my friends. So if they'd looked, they would have seen that I was at hospital and I can't really explain my way out of that one. So I was like, get me out of here. I need to go home because I don't want to have to explain to people what happened because the more people I tell, the more real it is and the less I can ignore it. So that was what my mindset was. And I pretty much tried to just get on with life, like, as much as possible, pretending like nothing had happened. And four days after the alleged incident, um, I was sitting around like a table with my boyfriend's family and we were playing like Game of Life or Monopoly or something like that. And I get a text message from this guy and it was a very long, very clear, very apparently remorseful apology um, for what he'd done. Do you think it's worth reading for the... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe before, I don't know if it's worth mentioning now, maybe just the fact that he, how he got into the house, because I mentioned that he left through that sliding door, but it's also worth mentioning that you did lock the door behind you. Mm-hmm. And in order to get in, allegedly, he's had to enter via another means into the property. So you've closed the door, locked the door behind you. Mm-hmm. And he has then gained entry through that sliding door that he ended up exiting from. And I think it's just worth, again, sorry, highlighting that point, that that's also how he entered. Yeah. yeah. Um, And that's the thing he said in his evidence um, at trial. He said that he remembers me locking the front door. He heard the lock go in the front door and he waited outside for some time um, before attempting to open my sliding door, um, saying if it was unlocked he would go in and it was so he did and I mean what's crazy is I'd left that door unlocked um a night before because my boyfriend was supposed to come home from a night out to my house um and I usually did that if he was coming home like it would be like two hours that it was unlocked and I'm in a fairly safe area so I'd leave it unlocked and he'd come in um but he didn't come home that to my house that night so that's why the door was unlocked because I'd just completely forgotten about it so the one time that he this guy would have been able to get in. He got in. Like it was just a very unlucky situation. Yeah. So- and we're going to go back, I think, to the laws of that later because, again, reiterating this man's been found not guilty, not guilty for what we're, what we're t- discussing. But I think we should go into it later and maybe discuss a little bit about what the charges were and that he was found not guilty because it's a good point to discuss Mm -hmm. but yeah I think if you feel safe and comfortable do you want to read the messages that he sent to you on that four days after period absolutely let me just pull those up so the message I got reads hi Holly um I know sorry doesn't cut it but I really do appreciate you giving me an opportunity to apologize I've done the most heinous thing possible you can do to a woman and I've done it to you 
It was never my intention for things not to be consensual. I should have realized what you were communicating to me, but I didn't and I've pushed it. And ever since then I felt sick and that will stay with me forever that I've crossed that line. I know you want to forget all about this and believe me, so do I, but I've done something horrible to you and that will stay with me even in the back of my mind. But I've also ruined something between you and a man you love. Again, I should have respected what you have, but instead I was unable to restrain and some serious character searching needs to be done from me before I can call myself a good man. And I know this apology is really shit, but honestly, how can I for what I have done? But I hope this gives you whatever you want, whether it's some solace or something to hate. I hope it finds you in good stead. Whatever you want in the future, I will respect. It's been passed down the line that it's all right for me to send you something, but please don't feel an obligation to reply. Sincerely, his name. So, yeah, (laughs) I got that message. Um, And to be honest, at the time when I received it, like, it was quite, like, it was vindicating, vindicating. Um, And it was sort of, I read it. I was sitting around a table with people that had no idea what was going on, read it, put it down, and I was like, okay, he's sorry, like he's like that's a really vulnerable message to send. And I was like, he's taking full ownership. Like it's a good apology if you read that. It's like full ownership for his actions, remorse, and then willingness to make amends. Um, so I sort of read that and, I mean, I guess like a lot of victims would understand that having the person who's allegedly offended against you remorseful um, goes a long way to sort of healing, um, especially the way that I wasn't thinking about pressing charges at that stage. So, yeah, reading that was, like, at the time really nice. Um, but, unfortunately, his apology was not genuine. <laughs> or if it was, he very quickly changed his tune. It, 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 about a week or two later, he, as soon as he started facing repercussions for his actions, when more people sort of heard about what had happened, he very quickly changed his tune and said, no, no, like nothing went down wrong. She wanted everything that happened. Um, and, I mean, throughout the four years between when this happened and the trial, he would show up at events or um, there were times when, like, he, I believe, was trying to intimidate me in public. Like there was just not a lot of like he never once asked me or got somebody else to ask me if I was comfortable with something that he was doing he like started saying that he did nothing wrong so to me the apology was to sort of shut me up or whatever or maybe it was genuine until he sort of faced consequences for his actions so yeah yeah it was short-lived regardless and it is you know he did have four days to draft it and I think he's you know, actions do speak louder than words and I think it's pretty quickly come full circle and kind of it seems like he was trying to, you know, maybe make sure that something didn't happen because he knew what he had done was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that same sense, he's not willing to take any repercussions from it. Um, and I think you said to me as well one time that, you know, I think he was supposed to be come like there was a an event or something happening mm. and it was your birthday mm. and he was pissed off that he couldn't come to that because the group of friends were going to be yeah. at. So and feels like the apology's done, you should just get over it maybe. Even if it was genuine, mm-hmm. that's the kind of vibe you kind of get from from that now. It's it's what a dick. Like yeah. it is just 
it was like, I've apologized and now you've got to forget about it and we can all move on and I'm actually a good guy. I was like, well, hang on a second. <laughs> there's a whole lot of trauma there and there's no real, <laughs> like really, you've apologized and then gone and denied it it's pretty much immediately afterwards. So, yeah, I think it was very much taking the easy road out and capitalising on the fact that um, people don't want to believe that people they know are capable of awful things. So the people around us sort of, were willing to turn a blind eye or give people the benefit of the doubt and say turn a blind eye to um, what had happened and sort of just sweep it under the rug pretty much. So, yeah, he was definitely, yeah, there wasn't a lot of ownership there <laughs> for what, what had happened. Absolutely. And I actually, um, I've, I completely agree with what you just said. Um, and just to pepper in my own recent experience of this, I was at a bar with some people that I knew and I'd met this guy for the first night like a couple of weeks ago. He was a nice guy. We ended up like playing the pokies together for a little bit because like, you know, you're out having a couple of drinks kind of thing. He grabbed my wrist, like forcefully grabs my wrist and holds on to me and he goes, when are you going to sit your pussy on my face? And then he said the C word as well. Like, but I moved my arm away because I was like, we were having fun. You've never hit on me. Yeah. Where did this come from? In shock. There were two guys nearby that didn't know us that were like, what is going on? Mm. Anyway, he kept, the scariest thing was he kept grabbing my wrists to kind of try and stop me from reacting the way that I was and trying to control me and shut me up. Mm. So I eventually kind of got away from him, scurried away, cried, went like outside immediately disclosed to different people what had happened. And they were like, that's really unfortunate. And that's all I said. And then literally like day later are all at the bar that he works at having drinks with him and are all like, whatever. He comes up to me last Sunday and he sees me at another bar locally and he comes up to me like to make, he's drunk as he's off his tits anyway, but he says like, Maddie, 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 I'm so, I just want to have a talk to you on your own around the corner. And I was like, I'm not talking to you. I'm not coming anywhere with you. Mm. Um, I don't care what you have to say because I, you don't owe somebody's time, you know, as well. Like, and I feel like this is where the link is with what you were just saying. It's like he kept almost begging and got really pissed off that I wouldn't let him apologize to me. But I don't, in my opinion, I don't owe him my time mm. to let him apologized to me. I'm like, I I'm having fun with my friends. You can fuck off. And he kind of kept just going on and on and on. And I was like, man, just leave me alone. He eventually like left. And the vibe that I'm getting from around town is that like, look, Maddie, he made an attempt to apologize. Like it wasn't that bad. And it's like, I know that's not the same thing. We're not saying that these two things are the same, but it's just Mm. what you're saying around, like people aren't even willing to hold their friends accountable for a minor thing. Yeah, You know, for a sexual harassment that he's made me feel terrified at, it's not minor, but it is something that is obviously less serious than what you've had to endure in this moment. Mm. And even with that, people aren't willing to hold people that they care about within the community accountable, you know, and it's, it's not any more shocking to me, sadly, that people don't hold people to account for more things. And there is that kind of bro culture where it's like, well, he apologised, like, you know, he said sorry. So he's a good guy sometimes and he's funny sometimes. So we're going to now allow him back in the group and you now have to be the one that has to deal with the 
the the horrible feeling when he walks into an event or the fact that he's intimidating you or making you feel intimidated, whether the intention is there or not. All of those things, that's now your responsibility mm-hmm. and that's not fair. And that's the thing. I think there was sort of an, expect, an expectation amongst people that because he'd apologised or because it'd been two years, three years, that I should be okay with it. Like, and I think like it's a very difficult concept for people to grasp like how it feels to have been had something happen to you that you had no say in something so intimate and how much like I mean god like every time I have a shower still to this day every time I have a shower I think of him you know like it's not it's not like this happened and I'm fine now or this happened and he apologized so it's okay it's like this continues to like affect every part of my life and these like unfortunately some people just not all of them, but a lot of them, it was either like they believed me, um, but it was too difficult to handle or like we shouldn't hang him out to dry, like completely we shouldn't cut him off, which was never what I was asking for. It's just like I just wanted people to talk, <laughs> talk to me about it, like do something. And then like if I say that something makes me uncomfortable, listen, like do you know what I mean? Like I'm there was there was anger or what felt like anger directed at me for something that I had no say in and for something that their friend did. And I just, I could never wrap my head around that. I was like, what, like, I didn't do this. Like I didn't choose this. Somebody else chose this for me. And now because I'm choosing or unable to just brush it under the rug and be okay, I'm the problem. Like (laughs) make it make sense. (laughs) And I think that's just the systemic way of the patriarchy and it is your responsibility somehow or your fault somehow and that you're the party pooper somehow because you don't want this guy to be at certain events. It's just, you know, having some accountability from the people that are in your life and having them hold him to account in some way goes a lot further than what other people would think. Having other people be like, sorry, mate, you're not coming to any event that she's at. We're going to go. We're still going to be friends with her. But if she's going to be there, you're not welcome. And we'll tell you that. You know, if he was planning on coming to an event or something and they see you there, they should be messaging him being like, don't come, mate. You know, it's not, it's, we're protecting her. I'm sorry, but you're the one that made the bad choice. You're the one that, yes, you did apologize, but deal with the repercussions. Exactly. And I think it's not hard to do that. And what they're missing out on is what a, an event here and there, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, yeah, when you, exactly. Yeah. When you put it into context of what you're having to deal with, and there's such a lack of understanding there. Yeah, entirely. And that's the thing, like, they, they couldn't, and every time, something happened where, because there were a couple of times where people consulted him um, and, I mean, he pushed back and said, this is not right or this is not fair. I mean, I saw those messages because this one guy would try and there was a time where he would try and mediate us, which I appreciated at the time because at least he was being open and honest. Um, and he sent me messages that this guy had sent him saying, this is not right, like I shouldn't have to mi- um, miss out on seeing my friends because she's going to be there. Like, so that, I mean... That happened a lot. But also whenever he was told not to come, I had to be so grateful because these guys had done something. Like That's how it felt. I had to be really grateful because these guys had done something really nice for me. And I was like, thanks for doing the bare minimum, guys. Like you've told him not to come to something like, you know, like, <laughs> like it was like they yeah. wanted a medal every time they like did the right thing. <laughs> 
you you can say like thanks as a friend, like just as you would like thanks for, I don't know, opening the door for somebody or answering my phone for me. Mm. Thanks for opening, you know, thanks for doing something. It's not saying thank you, I'm going to bend over and like bow at your feet and say thank you so much, dear sir, what do I owe you now? Mm. Like it is, you're completely right. It is the bare minimum for a friend of theirs as well being you to be shown the respect that they, A, believe you, Mm. number one. Number two, help you to enforce boundaries. That's it. Mm. They're just supporting you. Yeah. And supporting you doesn't and shouldn't need to be bloody rewarded. Exactly. And that's the thing. I never wanted, like, I never wanted them to, I would never have said stop being friends with him. Do you know what I mean? Because that's not my decision to make and their, their moral compass, like, they can, work that one out on their own if they want to be friends with someone like that that's not I've got nothing to say about that I just wanted to be supported and I didn't want to be forced to interact with him or miss out on seeing my friends um and I didn't really think that was too much to ask in the scheme of things that like you know (laughs) people would so it it just it, it was every time it was a topic of discussion and yeah that was honestly really really hard to have people that say that they're your friend and care about you put you through that every time something came up like it's some sort of event. yeah yeah and what did that like feel like for you I mean I can imagine it must have started to feel like a bit of a burden or hmm. that you were a bit of a burden to Absolutely. And that, a situation that and yeah that's the thing like I don't think they understood how much that hurt and truthfully like that's probably hurt me more than the incident did or just as much as the incident incident did because for three years these people sort of said it's not bad enough for us to stop like like change anything really pretty much or some of them would say if it was my girlfriend like I would feel the same like I would never want to I would hate him and I'd never want people to hang out with him but it's not my girlfriend so basically they were like saying to, to me, they said they didn't care enough about me and my well-being to change their behaviour, which, like, these guys weren't my close friends, but they were good friends. And I was like, wow, <laughs> what's, you know, like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> yeah. And so you're saying, like, that also made you kind of look internally, like, what's wrong with me? Pretty much. I mean, um, I've had conversations with people, many conversations with people since the incident happened. But something that really resonated with, with me is that trauma makes you feel tainted and it makes it makes me feel more difficult than other people in my life. Like I'll go to go and talk to my friends about what's going on in, in my world and what's making me feel down for the week and it's something to do with this massive life problem. And then other people's problems are like, oh, like I'm not getting along with someone at work or my mum's annoying me or I'm fighting with my boyfriend and then I'm whacking in like this huge thing that nobody knows how to deal with. So I I feel like difficult to sort of love and to be around. And to be honest, that was completely exasperated by this group of people that made like reinforced that. Like they were like, yeah, you're difficult. You're the problem in this group. Like the fact that you won't just move on makes you a problem. So, yeah. <laughs> I think that's honestly why so many survivors become such good friends with one another through these networking different um, avenues and stuff. And it's because for the first time, potentially, you don't feel like a burden in a conversation. Mm. And it's almost like there's a lack of 
over explaining or dulling the story down that you have to do with a group of people who inherently understand trauma. Mm. Um, and that's why some of, you know, my new, my best friends have been since I've started doing advocacy because you don't feel like that burden all the time. And so many of us feel like that in, in group environments, in family environments. And it's frustrating as well, right? Cause you kind of just want to be normal. Mm. Like you want your problem to be an annoying colleague at work or, you know, (laughs) you forgot to go and get milk so you couldn't cook the dinner that you'd planned for that night. Like you, a normal problem. Yeah, I mean a normal problem problem would be nice. Um, I I joke about that a lot. And I think the thing is like to give the people around me credit as well, like this one group made that feel like a reality for me. But, like, I've got so many amazing people around me, like my family and my friends, my boyfriend. Like, they, they've they sort of shown me that that's not true and <laughs> they don't think that. Um, but I still feel it every day and it's, like, unlearning what this group of people taught me for four years is that I'm a problem. Um, but it does, like, it does happen and, they're, like, it's slowly getting better and I'm starting to learn that I'm not... <laughs> not a problem as much as I feel like I am sometimes. Yeah, you aren't. And I think it also goes with education for other people as well that, you know, it might be an awkward topic, it might be a difficult thing, but, you know, it's just one Google away from some really good conversation bridges, you know, where you can just ask something. Like you can literally Google how to speak to somebody who's been through a sexual assault and it will come up with example sentences for you. Mm. So you can go to that. And if you read something like that, then it's in the back of your mind. If you get to an awkward situation, you've got a list of things you can go through and it could be, um, is there anything that I can do to support you for that? Is there anything that I can do to help you? Um, You know, there's things that you can say to people without having to go in depth but still be supportive to them. That doesn't have to come innately. Most people have never had to go through this process. They've never had to enter the legal system in this way Mm -hmm. as a victim and you're not prepared for it until sadly you're in it. So. Mm it's okay to be somebody who doesn't know what to do, but if you're supporting somebody like, you know, and listening to this now, I just recommend do a couple of Google searches or go and speak to an advocate or something and ask. I think that's a great example that you can show. Exactly. And I think to add to that as well, all I ever really wanted was I know it's awkward and it's, it's funny. Like a lot of the time when I tell people what happened, I laugh because I don't, I know it's like I'm about to tell them probably one of the most fucked up things they've ever heard in their life. And I'm like, ha ha, this guy broke into my house and assaulted me allegedly. So, um, yeah, <laughs> a lot of the time I'm like, yeah, I know you don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Like, it's crazy, right? Um, but, and that sort of takes people off guard, but I really just want people to listen and like, ask your questions. I don't mind it. I appreciate not everyone's like that, but ask me what you want to know. Talk to me about it. Just don't act like it's not a thing. Like I'd rather you like not tiptoe around it. And I've got to take a step back and acknowledge that for a lot of people, they don't know how to handle talking to people about something that serious. But I would just say to anyone listening, tread carefully, but talk to people and listen. Like listening is one of the best things that you can do um, in situations like this. Yeah. And ask just a couple of questions like, it's so validating and I feel the same way as you when people will ask me questions and are, are prepared to put themselves in a vulnerable position as well by asking me that. It, it It's validating mm. to have somebody care about your story when you've gone through what you have with these people. 
you felt completely unvalidated, you felt completely left out in the dark and like you were a problem in some way. So when somebody actually does take the time to speak to you face-to-face and ask you a question, it is nice. It's validating. Obviously, like you said, tread carefully. Don't be a dick about it. But, you know, it can be a really beautiful thing. Exactly. And I think that um, to like it's important to understand as well that like that's where vulnerability is where like humans connect. That's where you like connect with people on a deeper level and you understand like you you put it all out on the table and you've said like accept me as I am not just like in a relationship as a family member as a friend like the, and it's super scary to do that with people but when you have the confidence to be vulnerable not even as the victim of a crime but someone approaching and talking to them and saying I have no idea what to say to you and I'm so sorry I feel uncomfortable because I don't know how to approach this but I want to listen and I want to be here for you saying that like just opens up the plate for this amazing connection and level of understanding that a lot of people sort of shy away from because it's a scary thing to do to open up to people like that. 100%. I couldn't agree more. Um, So you said like all of this has kind of gone down and we're at this point where, you know, you've had to go through this for a couple of years Mm. and he got to a stage where he really quickly stopped taking accountability Mm. and we did hear at the top of this that he's been found not guilty so there was a point where you've decided to go and raise this with the police Mm -hmm. what was that kind of process and when did that kind of happen for you yeah um like what 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 initiated the change in heart that you had yeah so we'll take it back to um about a month after the alleged incident um and that's when I finally told my mum um in her evidence in court, she said that um, she noticed that something was off with me because I'd been all over the shop, like emotionally. Um, and I finally sort of, and this is a typical for me as a person, I sort of have like a straw that breaks the camel's back moment and I let it all out. Like I was having problems with my um, boyfriend at the time um, and they had nothing to do with uh, the alleged incident. Um, and I sort of came to my mom and I was like, oh, like, all of this has happened and I completely unleashed on her, the poor thing. Like she would have been hit by a ton of bricks. Um, and so I told mum everything and then a couple of days later she comes into my room and she's like, I went and spoke to the police um, and I, I want to take you to go and talk to them tomorrow and have an obligation-free conversation um, about your options. And I was super, like, apprehensive and nervous about it, but I went um, and I met this incredible police officer who's a member of the um, socket, Bayside Socket. So I had a conversation with her and she was amazing. And she sort of said to me, whatever we do now, you can stop it at any phase, at any stage. But I really think that you should give yourself the best chance to make a decision down the line if you change your mind. So they went into the process of collecting all the evidence that they would need to collect um, to have a case against this person. So that involved taking statements from me, from my mum, from several of my friends and several other witnesses who were told um, about what had happened. Um, And it also involved something called a pretext phone call, which I had never heard of. I didn't know it was something that you could do. But basically what happens is you go into the police station and they set you up with like a, it's like a little earpiece device and it goes in your ear and it records a conversation between you and the alleged offender. Um, so I agreed to do that. I was, 
as you can imagine, so, so nervous going into that call. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what kind of reception that I was going to get from this person. So I make this call um, and I like I was trying to get evidence for the case. So, and I was like, what am I going to do here? If I go at him hard, he's just going to shut down and give me nothing. So I said to him, obviously, like, I'm just trying to piece together the night, like, I don't understand what's happened. I've got a couple of questions. And I said to him, I was like, how did you get into my house? Like, I remember shutting the door in your face. How did you get in? And after a little bit of back and forth, he said, I came in through your sliding door, which to me was the first time that I've ever heard. Like, I knew it, that he'd come in through the sliding door, but he said to me, I'd come through the sliding door. And I was like, thank God, like, he's he's admitted it. Like, I knew that he did that. And we're going to leave part one with Holly right there. We'll be back next week with part two. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Thank you again. Bye.